0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowd funders, Vern Jones and Mike McKenzie. Naomi Osaka is out in Madrid. Cam Norrie falls just short in Esteril.
1: And Wimbledon's Middle Sunday is no more.
0: Him. It's the bank holiday in the UK, which means it's a three-day weekend. The weather has been absolutely abysmal today, which I feel like it's just the perfect excuse really to just kind of sit, sit in the living room and watch the Madrid Open.
1: And a bit of the world snooker final, perhaps. <laughs> uh Yeah, really dismal weather today. Uh, not very spring-like. It's May. How is it this bad? It's also Britain, so, you oh, know. Very good point. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I've just been eating cake and watching sport all day, which actually sounds <laughs> and has been rather nice. But um yeah, we actually have had Madrid kick off already it kicked off kind of late last week uh with the women's side of the draw and we didn't really talk about it at all on last week's episode
0: I know it completely snuck up on me i was like <laughs> that was meant to start on monday why is it starting on a wednesday but yeah it was great it was great
1: yeah I, exactly i meant you know again kind of continuous tennis so um i suppose there's so much to get through isn't there with you know the men and the women and actually probably a bit of an argument to for this to happen all the time and, and to start one of the draws slightly earlier, um, get a bit more attention on it, uh, first thing. But I mean, notable stories, I guess so far in, in the women's side of Madrid. Let, let's start there because we've had Naomi Osaka, uh, who is, who's lost already in, in the third round of the, of the Madrid Open. Oh no, the second round even. Um, so she obviously, this is her first tournament on clay this year and, you know, she's yet to win a, a clay event. So we know she's not kind of, you know this isn't her favorite surface let's let's put it that way. Uh, but yeah, she was knocked out in three sets by Karolina Mukova, who is actually putting together quite a string of wins over over top players this year. I think this is her third win over a top five player. so uh yeah, managed to add Osaka to to her uh, list of scalps for twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all know I think Osaka is a fantastic hard court player. Uh we you know, we saw that obviously at the Australian Open and you know, we we talked about this season I think just being a big opportunity opportunity for her to kind of showcase her skills, you know, on other court surfaces because we I don't feel like we have really seen it in sort of full flight at the moment on clay, on grass and, you know, Madrid was a big opportunity for that, but you know, she came through her first round match against uh, Misaki Doi, relatively comfortably, 7-5, 6-2. But against Mukova, who has had a really good kind of 2021 season so far. Very much, I think, a much more natural clay quarter Um, in Madrid. She came unstuck, particularly in that third set. You know, she lost it 6-1. And I think it was very clear. And I think she was quite, you know, she was quite free to admit, really, that, you know, her movement on the court is just not very... It's not as natural as some of the you know other players out there, and even though you know we know her for her aggression and and power, it doesn't count as much. I feel like on a clay court, you know, you look at players like Simona Halep and Ash Barty, and uh, you know Iga Swiatek, and you, know, you wouldn't say they're necessarily the you know big power hitters of the, of the WTA game, but you know they are some of the best clay quarters, and it still feels that Naomi Osaka really is. You know, she's still I think a step behind. You know where. You know where she would want to be, despite being you know one of the you know the form players in the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that movement on a clay court it doesn't come as naturally to her, and and that's what Mukova really tried to exploit, mm. especially you know in the third set. She kind of. Focused much more on trying to move Asaka as much as she could around the court, you know, side to side and bringing her into the net. And it all came together really nicely for Mukova to, yeah, to dominate really that last set 6-1. And uh she'll be up against Maria Sakari in the next round. So, you know, uh, from one tough opponent to another, because obviously Sakari is on her day... Um, you know, especially a difficult player. But yeah, really, I mean, I know it's early days for Osaka, but um, I guess she's going to have a lot to work on over the course of this clay season. If she's going to want to add a clay slam to her, you know, current list of slams.
0: I feel like we, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, maybe including us, we bang on about, you know, the fact that Naomi Osaka isn't proven yet on a clay court. And I don't think, You know, I don't, I think it's clear, you know, she's not obviously terrible, but it's, it's quite clear that she's got kind of things to work on. And I don't think she can answer those problems by just being aggressive because I think on a clay court, you know, there's, you get a little bit more time. And I feel like, you know, if she. Just is aggressive, like you know she plays her hard court game on a clay court the best the best players on a clay court because they 're afforded that little bit of extra time they 're sort of able i think to to maneuver direct the ball uh, they have that little sort of split second to direct the ball um, a little bit easier than say on on a hard court. and as a result of that, it questions naomi Osaka 's movement and it's it 's not up to speed at the moment, and i don 't think sort of aggression is always the answer i mean it did work for her, I think in that second set but when it's not working for her she's got to think about you know being maybe a bit more defensive and maybe kind of picking her moments because you know it, it's it's one of those situations where I don't think you necessarily have to have a power game to you know to, to win on a on a clay court and she's maybe going to have to have to adapt that from you know when she goes from a hard court where you know she's she she will be looking to end the points early and you know hit winners <laughs> left, right, and centre from the baseline. When she can't do that, she—I fe- feel like she needs to be a bit more, a bit more versatile.
1: Yeah, a lot more craft and guile uh, mm. needed. But um, you know, she'll have plenty of time. You know, over the coming weeks to to improve. And I'm, she's too good a player not to do reasonably no. well. Um, do you know what? Do you know what I mean? On a on a clay court. But um, we also we today we've had the top half of the third round. Take place so really tasty matchups day Joel, which we were both um, quite excited for, was Ash Barty, <laughs> uh, world number one, against Iger Schwieger, you know, existing uh, Roland Garros champion. Well, the lot so these are these are the last two uh, clay court Slam champions playing against each other, uh, and it was Ash Barty who came through seven five six four uh, to get into the quarterfinals. So yeah, really interesting that they them two have faced off on clay, uh, and and who was going to come out on top. And it was quite a, you know, quite an up and down battle, and you know, quite quite close, really. I know it was straight sets, but you know, quite close sets. And yeah, you know, Barty went went three love down in that first set, and um, you know, got off to quite a slow start, but uh, managed to uh, to come back and was actually never, um, you know, she didn't lose her serve after that initial initial break. But what did she make of of the, of that match today?
0: I mean, I think actually, apart from, uh, you know, you spoke about Sakari versus Mukova, which I actually think is one of the, is probably the pick of the, the matches tomorrow across the, the men and women's draw. But this, I think for me was the, the pick of the, the matches today because it is such an intriguing contest. Both, uh, you know, f- have been French Open champions. Fiontech, obviously the, mo- the, the, mo- the current one. And I think both of them have had, you know, really, really good streaks of late. I think they both had double digit streaks on clay courts uh recently so something was obviously going to give and i think today i think i don't think both players served well i think sviontek's first serve percentage was actually below 50% um so i don't think they were at their absolute best but i think ash Barty being world number 1 having a bit more experience and i think playing in stuttgart last week where you know she was in i think unfamiliar situations where you know, she was going three sets. She looked like she was on the verge of exiting on a few times, you know, to Pushkova, Svitalina. Um, I think it really, really helped her. And, um, you know, she came through it. I think she saved six of seven break points and won, uh, a hundred percent. So three of three on the Sviontek serve. So I think that was potentially the difference. And although mm-hmm. I think Sviontek will be a little bit disappointed, you know, for her, we all know she's very young. We all know her. Game and how 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 devastating it can be on on a clay court. I mean, her 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 streak at the moment, or well, up to that that Barty match, it was all straight sets, very very dominating. But uh, yeah, I think just today, Ash Barty's experience just told a little bit more.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Like you said, it just came down to those break points, really. And mm. uh, after that early break that, that Barty um, lost, she was much more on it after that, you know, with her serve. So she's really uh, very tough to beat right now, Ash Barty, I have to say, especially against fellow top players. And she's got Petra Kvitova next. Uh, and they haven't actually played each other on a clay court uh since I think about nine years ago. So um <laughs> which I don't think really matters. That's such a long time ago. Barty must have been about sixteen then.
0: That for me also is a really, really, really fascinating encounter because I mean we know again Kivitova's talent on her day, probably one of the cleanest ball strikers. Um and we know Barty is obviously such a, you know, a grafter and a battler on court. And again, that is just going to be another fascinating matchup You've, I do feel like the winner of that has got quite a nice route potentially to the final um, to go all the so, way yep, quite yeah yeah potentially so you know again very interesting very interesting matchup there That's that's been set up
1: yeah. And just a couple of other things from this week. Um, we had Alina Svitolina going out in the first round. She, um, she lost to Jill Titman, but she had six match points. Mm. Uh, she was five one up in the last set and then lost it on a match, on a, on a final set tiebreak. So Svitolina will be ruining, uh, that, that defeat, I think, after having six match points. Um, and we also had Joe Conter. She's back. Uh, she won a match, uh, which is good to see her back on court and, and winning. But, uh, I have to say the victories were short lived because she then lost, to Sevastova in straight sets, so um, compared to Joe's clay court run of two years ago, I think we're kind of our expectations are very much uh, reduced this time around. She's really been, you know, struggling with this ongoing knee injury and and not able to put. Yeah, you know, I think this was only her third win of the year, so it's a uh, very you know slow incremental steps for Joe. But um, fingers crossed, she can improve with each with each tournament, and she's back now. But. um
0: 15th seed is sort mm. of flatters it flatters her a little bit at the moment mm. even, even that you know f- as the number 15th seed I said yeah it just flatters her doesn't it at the moment and I was sort of hoping for her to put a run uh, together because you know she was in that quarter with Svitolina so it, it, that part of the draw has certainly you know opened up and I think Ben Cic is through against Yabor today Bedosa you know that top half certainly in mm. that quarter there's an opportunity there for a you know someone to reach the, the semifinals. And I was hoping it could have potentially been Conta, but against Sevastova, it, it just, just wasn't clicking. And I think, you know, lack of, of match time on the court. I don't know how fit she is, whether she feels like she needs to play this um because it's, a you know, Masters 1000, but um yeah, hopefully she can maybe rediscover some of her form uh, in Rome. You know, it's a tournament that she's done well at. She's won in the past. Um So, We'll just have to wait and see. But um, yeah, she's going to need to start somewhere and, and to build momentum. And it was just a shame she couldn't do it in Madrid.
1: Definitely, and and as for the men uh, who've got underway today, uh, Dan Evans is through. Uh, Took you know talking about the Brits, he he came through in quite a long match against Jeremy Shardy. Uh, he won six two in the third set. Um, Dan did have three match points in the second set. it uh, yep. went, went to a decider. <laughs> it,
0: could it could have been shorter. Classic
1: though. Uh, it's, it's been a few matches where he's had match points and lost. So I'm glad he actually managed to get through this
0: one. He loves playing Shardy as well. I think before this season. I think he was actually three three zero down in their head to head, but I think he's won their last I think he's now won their last three matches, two and a half court, one today. Hopefully he's rediscovered some of the form that took him to the semifinals in Monte Carlo. Um because yeah, I feel like the fact that he had never won a match in Madrid, uh, you know, he could he's he's put that right, but he could I feel like he could do he could do so much more here.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um and he'll have I think Herkash uh in the next round, or John Millman, I think Herkash, um, oh, they haven't played that one yet, but, um, you know, he beat Herkash the other day, so. You know, it's winnable for Dan. So yeah, fingers crossed he can Definitely. go far in in this one as well. Um, but I guess notably, looking at the draw, um, all eyes probably on the, at the very top. Rafa's the topsy because we don't have uh, Djokovic here this week. Uh, he's going to play Carlos Alcaraz in the second round. Who who came through today? So um, on his birthday, Kim. On Carlos Alcaraz's birthday, yeah. <laughs> which what is he seventeen?
0: Going to be seventeen? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing for your birthday? You know, it, is that like. Nadal, I'm going to give you a bagel as your birthday present on on your birthday. Or do you think Alcaraz is just going to be sort of lapping up the experience of of playing someone you probably looked up to as as growing up?
1: I think he'll be all, all in for it. I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, you would have, he would have dreamt of playing Rafa on clay at home. I mean, it's all, it's all set in motion, isn't it? So, uh, but if Rafa, you know, will hopefully come through that one, he may have Yannick Sinner awaiting in the third round. So very interesting, um, section of the draw there. And we've also, um, got, well, there's no Novak, as I said, but Dominic Team is back. Uh, so we spoke about him a bit last week, but he's back. His draw is actually pretty decent, I think. Uh, but I mean, he's going to, play Rublev in the quarterfinals so you have to go with Rublev based on recent form for that one but I think team should be able to get a good few
0: matches under his belt we really don't know where you know where Dominic team is at and I think that's what makes watching you know his first match particularly back so fascinating because you know you look at the people around his jaw you know a few seasons ago last season, on a clay court, you would have said absolutely no problem, but you know we haven't seen Dominic team, I think since dubai on on a hard court completely different situation. I hope he's hundred percent fit now and and has kind of put his sort of struggles for uh you know motivation and all that sort of behind him, and he's kind of come back with a a fresh approach and we'll we'll see that because you know, he should be one of the the favorites going into the the French Open but you know like other players he will be using madrid using rome to build some momentum and you know he's got rublev in his in his quarter so that could be quite that could be quite tasty and if if both those players get there i think that would be a real acid test to really understand sort of what level dominic team is is coming back to i mean i'd like to think dominic team on a clay court you know, something that he knows very, very well is probably his best surface. He will be able to kind of come back and reach, you know, 85, 90 percent of his level kind of straight away. But maybe I'm being unrealistic. I don't know. He's been through a lot. So or, or from what it sounds like anyway, from sort of the, the interviews he's been given. So it, it might be uh, it might be a step for you too far, but I'm really rooting for him to see him, to see him back on tour.
1: Yeah. And who knows? Andre Rublev could well fall to Roberto Bautista Agut. Cause I think they Very might true. maybe, mm. maybe due to play in the third round. And I feel like that's going to be another long, a long match like they had recently. Um, but yes, lots, lots happening, obviously in the Madrid draw. Cam Norrie, I wonder how, how far he can go. Um, based on his recent good form, which we'll be getting onto. Um, well, we'll be getting onto now because we're going to talk about obviously the two tournaments that did happen last week that you know have finished <laughs> and that was Estoril and Munich and let's let's start in Estoril because yeah Cam Norrie uh run to the final which somewhat unexpected perhaps but uh, he really put together a really really decent week and unfortunately lost in a last set tiebreak to Ramos Vinolas who obviously is a very seasoned clay quarter. um and you know i guess uh, <sighs> coming up against him in you know in your first clay court final on the tour on the ATP circuit. You know, he's he's a tough, tough nut to crack on a clay court.
0: Yeah, I would say though, and it's something, I think a bit of a bug bugbear for me and probably for other tennis fans as well. Ramos Villolas was a set and a breakdown and took a medical timeout and it completely, I felt stunted. The, you know, it's obviously, it just killed Nori's momentum and it was a bit, it looked a bit suspicious. It looked like something out of the, Kim if I'm being honest it looks like something out of the Diana Yastremka playbook um it was just it just felt like too kind of good to be true and I don't know I feel I want like the ATP or the WTA to sort of come in and just just come how like think about how they can feel, I feel like stop these tactical medical timeouts in these big matches um because I know you know I know some people might say yeah but Capnoi is going to need to learn how to deal with those situations but but at the same time I, I still feel like kind of Ramos for you know he he, had, he played a set of tennis he, it wasn't going well for him it was a breakdown it still wasn't going well for him so he decided to go to his plan c and that was a, a medical timeout for no for no reason uh, or or maybe he was injured uh, you know he could have genuinely been injured but it it turned the it turned the tide tide of the match really and it was just a shame because as i said Nor- nori had all the momentum in that second set and if he was going to win it you 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 felt like he was going to have to do it in two sets
1: you're not just a sore British fan, Joel. <laughs> well, maybe I am a little
0: bit as well, but I'm sure there are listeners out there who look at kind of those medical timeouts with a with a little bit of a, a cursory glance. To I know what you mean.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Ramos Vinales has played the. Well, he's won the most amount of clay matches uh, so far this season. So he's he is the man on clay.
0: Kim, I thought you were going to say he's he's the man who's won the most matches. After taking a medical time. Out. Oh,
1: right, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, if you look into it, you'll you'll realize, yeah, that maybe that is his secret his secret weapon. But I mean, <laughs> Norrie, aside from the final, you know, he had some decent wins over mm. uh Chilich and, and Garin and uh some other sort of classic clay quarters like Zhao Sousa. So you know, decent week for Cam Norrie. Hopefully he can keep up um, you know. The results in, in, uh, Madrid. He may play, uh, FAA in the second round if, if they both get there. But, um, yeah, decent, decent weekend, especially, you know, Nori, obviously he grew up in New Zealand and, um, they don't actually have any clay courts <laughs> in New Zealand. So, you know, growing up. Where was he going to practice on clay? Nowhere. Um, So for him to actually do so well on, uh, you know, at a clay event, I mean, I don't mean to sort of sound like I'm belittling him because obviously he's been traveling the world and has had opportunities to play on clay since then. But obviously it doesn't come natural um, like it does to obviously Ramos Vinolas. He would have, you know, practically been born on clay. So, yeah. yeah it's just quite different
0: upbringings i suppose i mean yeah huge respect there cuz yes we know i mean for many fans british fans we will know him as a a british tennis player but as you said he did grow up in in new zealand and clay court you do it's it's probably quite hard to come across a yeah a clay court in new zealand i.e. they don't don't exist so he's obviously put in a lot of you know a lot of hard yards a lot of effort and it's really it's really coming good for him this season. You know, we've seen him in some big matches. You know, he had that, you know, he had that match against Nadal at the Australian Open. He played Nadal again in, in Barcelona. Um, He's really, I think, you know, he's certainly, I think entering the sort of, you know, real kind of purple patch in his career. And I think as a British fan, what's so great is that he's sort of peaking on, uh, on clay at a time Dan Evans is as well. And, you know, they're both kind of genuine threats and, you know, going into this season, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think a lot of British hands would have, you know, thought much of the, you know, of, of British hopes on on the clay season. So it's kind of great to see, you know, in these two fifties and in you know Monte Carlo, it's great to see kind of British interest being extended into kind of the the latter stages because you know we're not going we're not getting it from. Joe Conter, we're not getting it for Carl Edmund, you know, Andy Murray's, will he, won't be on the, on Roland Garros? So it's, it's great to see these two guys kind of stepping up, um, you know, really well on, on a surface that isn't necessarily their most natural one.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And it gives us, you know, it gives us people to support, you know, from a British perspective. Uh, it's always good to have some, you know, some, some up there. Um, and also the doubles, obviously, we, we always have, People there or thereabouts, which is fantastic. And, and this week it was uh, Luke Bambridge and Dom Inglot who got to the final in Estoril. Uh, they just lost in a last set tiebreak, but um, yeah, really good, really good stuff to get to the to the last four. Um, I think this was their yeah they they kind of been to the latter stages of two events this season, so. Um, Decent, decent partnership first final as a team uh, but let's let's talk about the Munich event as well Joel that happened last week the BMW Open I remember going to this event about 11 years ago and it was the coldest week in May I've ever <laughs> had in my life I mean talk about the weather being terrible here today my um, fingers and toes were like blocks of ice when I was at uh, Munich at this event back in the day but um, yeah and lo and behold Nicholas Basilashvili has come out on top uh, and won this one so so that's his second title of the year because he won the Doha event um earlier in the year when he he beat Federer um back in February but yeah he beat uh Jan Leonard struff in the final so there was a local local in the final um but yeah what did you make of this because Vili, very strange his his year has been he's won yeah. two titles but in every other tournament pretty much he's gone out in the first round so it's very all or nothing for him
0: yeah, I think he has this reputation as one of the streakiest, streakiest, streakiest players in the the top 100. You know, he had that win against Federer as well. So, you know, he's obviously when he is on, he is on and he's a pretty decent, you know, he's a pretty decent competitor. He sort of reminds me actually of of Aslan Karatsev in terms of the he, he's a very big hitter, very flat hitter um you know, massive sort of ball striking from the the back of the court. I mean, I was watching some of the highlights of Striff versus Bastasvili, literally the first point on Striff's serve, Bastasvili just bashed back a winner um, off the return. And um, yeah, it, 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 obviously this, it all came together for him. Um, It's just, I guess, consistency is his issue in terms of his tennis. And, you know, he's either going, he isn't genuinely either going out in the first round or winning the tournament. So it feels like at the moment uh the 20 when, the 2021 season of passasville it was like the best of times but it was also the worst of times i think <laughs> Is um, that a shakespeare
1: quote i think, I think it or... no i think
0: it was a dickens quote a dickens oh, quote that's oh that's it can't
1: can't
0: any get listeners my you know english missing literature. out on there? yeah
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> but, dear um, um i'm awful with uh, english literature uh, i know i know it's a famous quote but god knows where it's from
0: uh, <laughs> anyway just on, on come a bit more seriously. I mean, he did take out Kaspar one and two, mm, true. which was a very, very, very decent win against a guy who I think got to the, you know, he got to the semi, Rude got, obviously got to the semi finals in, in Monte Carlo. So, you know, he's been playing some very, very good tennis. I think what was kind of surprising though about the final was that, you know, Struf, Struf was there. And I think we were all sort of expecting it to be, uh, Alexander Zverev, but lo and behold, he lost to Ili Ivashka, the, the qualifier.
1: Yeah and I mean Striff getting to the final was actually quite impressive because he's been a bit of a Julian Beneto when it comes to ATP semi-finals he'd uh, been zero from 7 until this event so he'll be pleased I think to have actually made it through um that stage but um yeah obviously Bastash really coming out on top um, another interesting result though from this week obviously Zverev was the top seed but he lost uh, in the quarterfinals to Ilya Avashka who you know that may seem quite surprising but Avashka if, if people remember was the guy that pushed Rafa in the in the second mm. round of Barcelona uh, last week and you know it just goes to show he really genuinely was playing very well and that wasn't you know a fluke performance on the day He's he's been putting together some really like solid performances and obviously upset Zverev so you know, he is actually, um, perhaps yeah, a real dark horse, not someone you want to place in Roland Garros. You know, first round, perhaps he's obviously putting together a, a a bit of a run, a bit of a Karatsev run, perhaps. You know, putting those those wins together.
0: Yeah, he's. I mean, he's six and two on the on the clay this season, Ivashka and there are a lot of similarities i think with him and kratsev in the sense that you know they uh, you know they definitely sort of plied their trade on you know regularly on the challenger circuit you know it didn't really come up you know early on in their careers but you know they're sort of coming up coming to the good you know, with a lot more experience behind them. Um, I think Ivashka's, you know, similar age to Karatsev. And as you said, he's been putting some good results, uh, you know, together in the last, well, since the start of the clay season. I mean, he reached the quarterfinals in Marbella, um, as well as the, the Barcelona Open, where he reached the, the second round as well. Um, so very good, I think, showing here, you know, Beating Zverev as a as a qualifier, getting to the semi-finals. I mean, yes, he sort of lost to to Striff quite quite easily, but um, yeah, I think it's it's another it's just another example of a player who, I think you know, has applied their trade um on the more so on the on the challenger circuit has gained all of that experience, and actually, I think they've shown Kratsev as well, you know, the step up from there, um, to kind of these sorts of two fifty events, um. It's potentially not as big as, you know, some people might think. And, you know, the fact he came through qualifying, you know, got some wins against Rusavori and, and Mackenzie McDonald as well. Um, and then, and then Zverev was almost kind of the icing on the cake.
1: Well, Joel, at least Ilya Ivashka, you know, he didn't win the tournament and perhaps that's just as well because he didn't have to change into a pair of lederhosen shorts <laughs> in the trophy ceremony like Basilashvili had to. Um Yeah, they had a screen put up and, you know, he had to go and change and put on the, uh, you know, very attractive bavarian sort of traditional shorts and uh i mean it's nice that they're obviously promoting the culture of their area but i think some some people might have been a bit like do i have to you know i would have loved it i would have loved it <laughs>
0: um i mean i saw today Oct- october has been cancelled so uh. i mean unfortunately, obviously unfortunately um but yeah uh i i, I thought they were quite fetching
1: lederhosen actually costs quite a lot of money like the you know real good quality mm. traditional you know when you see it in the shops there like um it's actually worth quite a bit so i guess if you're winning a nice pair of shorts to go with it that that'd be quite a, a bargain but um
0: <laughs> i wonder if he'll keep them on keep them in his wardrobe or he'll just put them on ebay like a later date and sign them maybe
1: <laughs> um well yes anyway on that note let's uh take a quick break uh but do join us in the second half we'll be looking at dolgopolov's retirement uh news from wimbledon that middle sunday is no more and also looking ahead at the rest of the week in madrid so don't go anywhere This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim, and now we're going to move on to a bit of mysterious player, as we do uh, in the second half of the show. Joel, I believe you're testing me this week. And before you start, can I guess, is it Fernando Vadasco?
0: <laughs> no, it's not Fernando Vadasco. Um no, I'm I'm putting that to bed. It's not Fernando Vadasco. It's never going to be Van Fernando Vadasco. We said Fernando Vadasco way too many times over the last few weeks. So I'm I'm putting a like a Fernando Vadasco swear jar uh, on the on the recordings from from this point in.
1: Oh no okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say he lost to Christian Garen today, but I'm not allowed to report on him anymore so <laughs> right enough said what's, you, you what's can re-
0: report you can report on how many wild cards he's getting recently because I feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a lot um it's like Andy Murray levels of of wild cards but uh, anyway, um right okay, are you ready for your mysterious player? I am indeed okay, so clue number one I was born on the twelfth of April nineteen eighty three
1: right okay so they are almost 40 they're like 38 okay um i mean hmm. that plausibly
0: could be fernando vadasco i know (laughs) (laughs) hang
1: on swear jar hang on uh 50 pence
0: right
1: um no we should genuinely do that and we can donate it to (laughs) fernando vadasco's charity of choice perhaps (laughs) um right uh 38 years old serena williams Oh, no, I think she's born in September, isn't she?
0: Incorrect. It's oh. not Serena Williams. Uh next clue. I retired from tennis in 2014.
1: Okay, so they retired when they were 31. Um ish. Mm. Dinara Safina? <laughs>
0: mm. Incorrect. It's mm. not Dinara Safina. Uh next clue. Uh, number three, I have a career high ranking of number four in singles.
1: Number four, number four. Um, I want to say somebody like Nadia Petrova.
0: Oh they... my god, is
1: it? Is it her?
0: Mm, incorrect, <gasps> it's oh. not Nadia Petrova, but that is a very, very good shout. Um, okay, but no. Uh, next clue I in my career I won a total of six WTA titles pretty decent
1: I want to say Elena Dementieva but I feel like did she get slightly higher was she like number two or three in the world and I feel like she probably won more than six titles but I'll, I'll go with her anyway Elena Dementieva mm.
0: Incorrect. It's Hmm. not Elena Dementieva. Okay. So I can see some more, some more clues that might might give it away. Um. So next clue, I released my autobiography in 2017, entitled Unbreakable.
1: Ah. Um. Okay. (laughs) I feel like I should know this, Unbreakable. Uh. So wait, 2017. That's four years ago. So that when they were 34. Um I was thinking of the Andre Agassi one, but that's open, isn't it? Uh Unbreakable. Someone who's got a really good serve. Oh. Oh, I think I know. Uh, oh. No, 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 it's not because he was number one in the world. I was gonna say Andy Roddick. Um <laughs>
0: mm, incorrect. It's oh. not it's not Andy Roddick. <laughs> I like your thinking though, with that the unbreakable serve. title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big it's server. not it's not uh, Andy Roddick. I mean, I, I said six WTA titles. So, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, oh no. no. Um, okay. Right. Next clue is he, on. Okay. I played and lost the French Open ladies doubles final with my partner Conchita Martinez in two thousand
1: and one. Mm. Um. Oh my lord uh Martina Hingis
0: mm, Incorrect <laughs> no, it's no. not Martina um, Hingis Oh no, sorry
1: she would have been she was world number 1 <laughs> <laughs> Oh this is a travesty
0: Um are you ready for the next clue <laughs> I I'm yeah. going to give you this one I reached the semi-finals of Wimbledon in 2000
1: <sighs> So they must be like mostly a doubles player Well as in, maybe had like one one semi final at Wimbledon.
0: Uh, one semi final at Wimbledon, year two. It's start of the millennium.
1: Played double. Uh, oh gosh. Um,
0: the next three clues are a little <laughs> bit easier. If, if this is t- if this is too hard for you,
1: um, is if I say Sabatini or someone like that,
0: mm, incorrect. It's not Sabatini.
1: Trying to think of Hispanic players now. <laughs> um,
0: right, I think. Okay, next clue. In the 1999 Wimbledon Championships, I achieved one of the biggest upsets in tennis history, beating Martina Hingis 6 2, 6 love. This remains the only time the women's world number one has ever lost to a qualifier at Wimbledon.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, gosh. They retired in 2014. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. What do you think? They're still more recent than... Hmm. I feel like I'm
0: getting my, I'm getting my own back here. Yeah, a this is test, really hard. real oh. pester.
1: <laughs> mm. if, if I had the nationality, I think that would help. Um, oh, Jill Crabass. <laughs>
0: hmm. <laughs> Incorrect. It's not Jill Crabat. <laughs> okay, it's penultimate clue. Oh and it, is, it is nationalities. So oh. I have represented three countries whilst playing tennis as a pro: the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, Serbia and Montenegro, and Australia.
1: Oh, it's um, Alicia Molik. No, not Alicia Molik. Uh, the one that had. Uh, Yelena Dokić. correct it's Jelena Dokić. yes oh I see I I knew yeah oh I just needed nationality yeah oh I would never have got that if you hadn't have said that though like that she was uh, you know (laughs) represented Serbia and that was really hard really hard I hope the listeners well I hope they got it before i did but i found that very difficult i thought unbreakable
0: interesting you went like the serve route because i think it was more to do with like her mental and mm, injuries and all yeah. of that sort of stuff so um yeah it was quite a tough one uh listeners let us know did you did you struggle as much as kim or were you able to get that uh <laughs> much quicker let, let us know uh we'd love to we'd love to hear from you
1: i remember in what year was it she did kind of make a bit of a run at the ao didn't she uh and got to like the maybe the quarters yeah round, 2009
0: like she got quarters ah, in 2009 okay. which Wow, pretty crazy yeah um, but yeah
1: fantastic thanks joel um <laughs> right so i've got a question for you just just one though and that's on our mailbag and we've got a lovely question from at underarm ace on twitter uh and it's about cam Norrie. So Underarm Ace asked us, how good is Cam Norrie? Is he a proper all-surface player? And what are your expectations for him? Joel, do you want to uh to go first on that one?
0: Yeah. Uh so thank you, Underarm Ace, for getting in touch uh with Mailbag uh about Cam Norrie. Um I do think he is an all-surface player. Um I think he's I just think he's a very game competitor. I think you know he's had enough time on the tour now that he knows how to just to be there. Like uh, ever presently, I think um, you know he might not reach the the latter rounds, but cer- certainly I think that you know in a, in a clay court, on a hard court, in an indoor court, whatever court it is, I think um, you know he's he's always kind of there or thereabouts. I think in terms of how good he is, I think there are still things I think he can work on. You know, I think a lot of people kind of talk about his double-handed backhand being something that sort of sort of exists but doesn't really much for him i think he's come unstuck i feel like he comes unstuck quite a bit on a hard court because of potentially because of his his backhand wing um i don't think he generates enough pace on it uh, personally um i know it's i know he's probably sort of kind of comfortable in in how it um in the sort of action but kind of seeing it as a fan on tv it looks quite awkward and it doesn't feel like it goes as far back as potentially it needs to in order to generate that power. But um yeah, I think there's certainly some improvements there, I think, on the on the backhand side. But I think kind of going forward, I certainly think that, you know, he him and him and Dan Evans, I think, can kind of compete with each other for that British number one spot. Um I certainly think that Dan Evans is the I would say he's probably the, you know, he's the better He's a better tennis player at the moment. I think he's playing the better tennis, but I have no reason to see, you know, if, if Dan Evans does kind of suffer a blip and, and Cam Norrie kind of continues kind of this form, I don't see a reason why not that they can, that they could potentially, um, you know, compete between number one and number two. But I think certainly at the moment, he's a very solid, you know, British number two men's, men's player, you know, for Davis Cup. And, you know, he would definitely be in that in that squad so you know i think in terms of the future i think you know he's got very good prospects i'd like to see him get to you know a second week of a grand slam um i think you know that's potentially the, the next step making sure that he can do do more at the you know the bigger tournaments and get you know more ranking points and, and prize money because you know i certainly think there's a lot of players in that sort of space between you know, 30 and, and 50 who could potentially get one of those, you know, low, low seedings in, in Grand Slams. And that's where I think, I think that's where Cam Norrie could could aim for.
1: I agree. I think um second week of a Grand Slam would be fantastic. But mm. at the moment, there is a certain threshold unless he sort of makes a significant step he up. He needs a
0: seeding. He needs a seeding, I think, to, yeah. to I think really give him a chance, I think.
1: Next sort of goal would be to kind of be where Dan Evans is at the moment you know where he's mm-hmm. in the top 30 would have a seeding you know getting a win over Novak Djokovic for example and making the semi-finals of a masters event that that would be great if we had like two guys getting to that bit but um yeah great question under our mace and um Joel, I think we actually had another question today we've got two mailbag
0: questions Yes, so we also had Linda get in touch with us on email and her question was this. Hey guys, love the show. My question is following the news earlier this week that Roger Federer will be auctioning off some of his greatest Grand Slam memorabilia later this year, what would be your number one Grand Slam item or piece of clothing uh, that you would bid for um, if you had the chance? So, Kim, what are your what are your thoughts?
1: Well, when the auction goes live at Christie's, I am going to be straight in there spending my fortune trying to buy uh, one of Federer's lovely cardigans, you know, that he wore onto court. Oh,
0: yes. To,
1: to play in the 2012 Wimbledon yes, final. Um, I did love that. I'm sure I can fork out a few million for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How much do you think that would go for? I've, I genuinely oh, have no idea. I don't know. I feel like know. there are some mad, mad fed fans and you know passion is just gonna passion can just do crazy things to you and if you have an infinite bank balance you could easily go go nuts yeah. yeah
1: i know i think they are estimating the collection to be worth around a million pounds um mm. and he federer isn't doing this because he's short of a few bob it's for <laughs> his charity uh, it's for the roger federer foundation so it's all going for charity um and it's yeah it's, it's happening in june actually june and july um so there'll be sort of live auctions happening. Um but yeah, I mean I'm not, you know, a massive devout Federer fan, as many listeners will know, but I am a massive Rafa fan, so I suppose I'd have to go for something Rafa related, like maybe like the bandana he wore when he won Wimbledon in two thousand and eight, mm, okay. or or something, you know, um like the shoes from his first Roland Garros title, something along those lines that's you know was there at, at one of those great moments in, in
0: time you don't fancy the you know the three quarter length trousers he wore for his first french open against mariana Puerta. uh
1: yeah i i do like that <laughs> i do prefer his shorter shorts sir, i have to say i oh, I, like, okay. I do like Rafa's outfits now i mean i'd take that lovely purple shirt he's been wearing lately i'd, I'd have that to be
0: honest with you. i want him to bring back the three quarter length look
1: they're quite awkward, back. though. Imagine playing in those; that they must limit your movement quite a bit. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, I think I th- I'm sure if if something like Serena Williams's cat suit was up there, that you know, quite a lot of iconic items would would go for quite a lot. I think so. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a great question from Linda. I mean, Joel, what would you go for something Andy Murray related, perhaps? Um,
0: I, you know, instantly, I wanted to go for Stan's shorts that he wore at the the French Open. Uh, you know, that court that. Caught, that set the tennis world on fire um i'd love us i'd love a pair of of stan's shorts um of course anything andy murray related from probably from his first Grand Slam win back in uh us open at flashing meadow in 2012 i would happily have that um uh yeah um maybe one of his frackets um you know uh so yeah, I think for me, yeah, something, something like that. But, um, I'll be interested to see later this year how, how that auction goes and what is the most, what sells for the, the most money. Cause he's definitely got a few, a few lots, no doubt that, um, will have a lot of fans, uh, interested, uh, <laughs> with their credit cards.
1: Definitely. Um, it's a great idea. And, you know, he, I'm sure he doesn't need to keep all these pairs of shoes hanging around. So yeah, I'm um, good for him. And uh, talking about, um, Grand Slams, we've got some news from Wimbledon, which has come out. And that is that from next year, from 2022, there will be no middle Sunday. So obviously at the moment we have a rest day on the middle Sunday, uh, on the tournament, which means that come Monday of the second week, it's all kind of all guns blazing, uh, all the round of 16 matches you know have to have have to happen all on the same day It's a bit of a manic Monday uh but that is going to change from from next year and they're gonna you know have a traditional schedule in line with other slams where they just play on on every day um and there's no sort of day off uh which I think makes sense from a multitude of, of perspectives but I guess it's I've sort of got used to Middle Sunday, and I suppose if when you are attending as a fan, it can be quite hectic. If you are there, like the whole of the first week, you know, queuing, and it's quite nice to have that day off, a uh, bit of respite. But I think if you are not actually there, it, it it must be quite annoying having like a day with no tennis in the middle of the event.
0: Yeah, because the 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 reason that Middle Sunday exists in the first place, and I I didn't realize this until I was I was kind of doing some research. It, it was as part of a deal with local residents because. The men's final used to be played on on a Saturday, but when they wanted to move it to a Sunday you know, the community around the all England club, which is obviously, a you know, quiet and, and residential area. They, they said that there want, they wanted there to be that day of rest. Um, So they felt like it was essential and therefore there was a deal kind of struck. And from there on in middle Sunday kind of existed. And, you know, I think, you know, it, it's obviously existed for a long time, you know, as a fan kind of growing up, it's always sort of been there, you know, they have played on middle Sunday for a, you know, a few occasions. I know it's a very sort of sacred time, but, They have played on there on four occasions, uh, most recently in twenty sixteen. So, you know, for me it's it's very much, I think, you know, been like like the queue really, for me, it's it's thing it's something that I think is part of the the identity of of Wimbledon. But I do think that with sort of the, you know, the the changing of, of viewing habits and you know, particularly with weekends versus, you know, fans obviously working on on weekdays, I feel like this makes the most sense because you know, having all those all those quality matches on that Monday and across the men and women's draw in the round of sixteen, I feel like you can spread the wealth a little bit there and, and put some of those matches on the Sunday and and you know Get people who you know might be working on the Monday who might miss those matches. You know, you can you can spread that out in the weekend and create a really great atmosphere on that Sunday um, with you know matches that you know might necessarily not had a a bigger crowd or a bigger atmosphere if it was just kind of played on a you know on a Monday at, at you know eleven a.m. on an outside court.
1: Yeah, that is true, and um, it does seem a bit daft having a day off when yeah, like you said a lot of people are off work on a Sunday and it's, you know, we're not really, uh, you know, it's not like a traditional, everyone's going to church on a Sunday anymore, is it? It's, we're all doing things and able to kind of go to events, you know, when the pandemic's not on. But yeah, I think, um I think this is a, I, I think this is fine. Um, it's yes, they're breaking a bit with tradition, but it's not really a, a massive, um, massive change. And like you said, I remember in twenty sixteen there was terrible rain, uh, and they had to, they had to, they had to play on that Sunday to sort of catch up. So it's not like they haven't done it before.
0: I mean, I feel like the the tradition now with with grand slams is, I do think we are. I mean yes we are moving Wimbledon is going to a, a a more traditional monday monday uh you know monday start for two weeks ending on that that second sunday but I do think that the tradition potentially in the future could be like the french open where they do start on the sunday um you know I I do like the idea of more tennis being played on on weekends and I do I, I was a bit hesitant about, you know, having plays start on Sundays to to begin with, but I'm I'm increasingly coming around to it, you know, with you know, particularly with, you know, people have obviously more downtime at the weekends and you know getting more sort of exposure on on tennis and potentially spreading a slam out, you know, if possible, across three weekends might might could be the norm in the future if, you know, they want to get as much exposure as possible. So it's not all sort of just crammed into, you know, the, you know, the weekdays from that Monday, you know, particularly if you want to create a, you know, a big bang or, you know, a big kind of launch to it. You're gonna get that on a week on a weekend versus a you know a Monday morning.
1: Oh, I agree. Yeah, it does seem a bit <laughs> odd. 10 a.m. on Monday morning. You know, you're in the office, and then it's kind of yeah, it's like this this massive sporting event is kicking off. It does seem a bit strange when you put it like that. Um, but yeah, listeners, let us know your thoughts. How how do you feel about the middle Sunday thing? How do you feel about when a slam should start? Um, let us know you know, your your take on that one. Um we've also got some other news, Joel. Uh, a bit of a retirement announcement uh this week from Alexander Dolgopolov, who um and sadly calling it a day on his career. Um Dolgopolov, he hasn't been around really, has he, for a while? I think he's really struggled with injury, um, a wrist injury in particular, which he got about three years ago. And hasn't been the same since. But yeah, a bit of a shame because you know he he was up at in the top twenty at one point. Um, you know, I I did see him play. I think it probably it was around twenty ten that kind of phase. I, I remember him being quite a permanent fixture. You know, in in all the tournaments I was kind of going to as a fan. So yeah, a bit of a shame that he's uh, had to you know curtail curtail his career in in, in this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bit of bit of a, you know, a sad one, you know, no one likes to see sort of players announcing their retirement because of kind of injuries. You know, for me, Dog Opelov was one of those players who was such a unique kind of proposition on a tennis court, very kind of unorthodox, you know, wasn't the tallest guy, but I think he was quite a hard player to kind of read in terms of, in terms of his serve, but also his kind of ground strokes, you know, he was quite, it's, he was quite wristy you know you like to you know employ angles and different times of spins and, and slices so in that respect i sort of i'm not that surprised that sort of he, he's you know been hampered by kind of a, a wrist injury in his kind of later years but um yeah he was certainly you know an entertainer and if he wasn't kind of a you know a necessarily a title winner i mean yes he had Kind of three titles and, and one sort of grand slam quarter final to his name. But I think we'll all, I think as fans kind of remember him sort of more for the, you know, the matches he's played and the style I think that he brought to the court, which is, you know, almost like a little bit like, you know, a Sue Wei Shea on the, on the women's side. I think he's a little bit like that on the, on the, he was like a little bit like that on the men's side in terms of he's such an awkward player to play against that I think it really got his opponents kind of thinking about how I'm going to, how am, I, how am I going to defeat this player who who come who brings something to the court that you don't really see in anyone else, really?
1: Yeah, he was quite distinctive, quite quite unique, and obviously his style as well. He had the ponytail, slightly longer hair. Um, but yeah, he hasn't played in yeah three years. I think his last match was Rome twenty eighteen against against Djokovic, actually. So um, unfortunately, you know, unless unless say he he sort of. Has a resurgence in a few years. I'm always a bit wary when players say they're retiring because I'm like, oh, well, you know, we have seen stranger things of people coming back after many years. But um, I I, I love Joel how you also put on uh, our notes for today <laughs> that you you remember him for his 2011 Indian Wells doubles <laughs>
0: title
1: <laughs> with Xavier Mees.
0: Do you not remember that, Kim? It was an absolute, it was an absolute classic. I think you've actually taken it out of your memory because. Um yeah, it, it, he won the tournament but Nadal and Lopez got to that men's double semi-final and lost um to Federer and Vavrinka, and then Federer and Vavrinka lost to Dolgopolov and Melis in the final. But it was such a I mean it was such a memorable run because I feel like that was a you know complete scratch pairing. They won all their matches in championship tie breaks and they played like a who's who of of tennis players across singles. And doubles, they beat the they beat the Bryan brothers uh in the second round. They beat Andy, they beat the Murray brothers in the quarterfinals. Um, and then uh yeah, they beat uh Federer and Vavrinka in the final. I mean, that is that's not too shabby, is it?
1: It's a lot of Olympic champions they're beating there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's a really good performance uh to to win that title. But um yeah, very blast from the past there. But I love Rafa and Mark Lopez playing together. Um. Definitely, definitely want more of that, please. Um, but that that brings us kind of to a close, Joel. Um, obviously, we've got Madrid happening this week, so we'll be back to round up, uh, you know, the finals and and the the latter stages of, of Madrid. Um, perhaps we should do some tentative predictions for the uh, for Madrid before we
0: go. Uh- <laughs> it's sort of interesting. I think Dominic, you know, in the men's side, Dominic teams sort of an unknown quantity. I quite like. Beratini um in that bottom half, um, particularly against you know Medvedev. I know Sisypass is obviously there. You know, if you're gonna ask me to make some predictions in semi-finals, I'm gonna have to go Nadal. I, I feel I'm, maybe this is a bit plain. Nadal Rublev in that top half. I think Rublev will come through Dominic team due to lack of match practice. I think Nadal would beat Zverev. Um and then in that bottom half, I think. I think Cisipas, uh and I think Berrettini. So I'm going to go Sisypas Berrettini in that bottom half. Nadal, um, Nadal, Nadal, Rublev top half final. Nadal Sisypas. I think we're in. For, I think we're in for another Nadal Sisypas final. And to be honest, after that fi- that that final they've just had, who wouldn't want that? And I sense another Nadal I sense another Nadal victory so that's what I'm thinking what, what where are your where's your head at
1: Oh, I hope you're right, Joel. Um, yeah, I have to say, I think the going consensus is Nadal, Tsitsipas. So I, I think I think I'm I'm very much agreeing with you. I think instead of Berrettini, there might be PCB in that bottom oh, um, okay. bit of the draw. So I'm going to go for a bit of Pablo Carreno buster in the semi-finals as well. But yeah, otherwise, I I actually agree with you, Joel. <laughs> um, <laughs> as for the women, uh, I'm going to go for Ash Barty. I think. Um, she just seems to have the number of other players right now, whoever they may be. I'm going to say Barty, Bencic, Sabalenka and Sakari for my semi-finalists.
0: Interesting. Okay. And I think
1: Barty against... Do you know what? I think it could be Barty-Sabalenka in the final again with Barty winning Nothing. again. I,
0: no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I mean... I think yeah I think Barty I mean I don't really I don't really know who's going <laughs> to beat Barty in the semi-final but they I feel like they're going to lose uh but um I'm going to say yeah But Bart, maybe Barty benchich in the semi-finals Barty to come through that but I think the the bottom half is most interesting I can't believe you didn't say Simona Halep uh Well in the sem- I just in- I'm not
1: convinced I mean she's got yeah. Elise
0: Mertens. I mean I don't care how well Elise Mertens has been playing this year. I just think that's going to be a routine three and four job, um, and I think she'll come through either Sabalenka or, or Pegula. So I've got to say, Simona Halep, and uh, I I want to say I think you're right. I think I think Sakari is is looking quite good. I know she I know she started the, the tournament uh losing uh giving a bagel to, to Anna Sabova losing that set. Sorry, getting a bagel from Anna Sabova six love. But yeah, I'm gonna go Halep Sakari in the bottom half. And then I'm gonna do a Barty Halep final of which I think Halep would come out on top. Um I think Halep's looked really in good touch in the kind of first couple of matches this week. So I'm expecting her to kind of come through. I know she likes playing in Madrid as well. So I think Simona Halep uh, I think this is going to be Simona Halep's time, and she's going to announce herself as one of the big French Open uh, title contenders.
1: Right there, we go. Uh, let watch her lose uh, tomorrow. There, <laughs> uh, no, I hope she doesn't. But um, yeah, we'll be back obviously next week to round up on the rest of the action from Madrid and lament our terrible predictions. No doubt.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, yes, yeah, so listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch-up from the passing shot. If you want to stick up to date on all of the things in the tennis world, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button for the passing shot. And if you have been enjoying listening to us on Apple Podcasts, it would really help us. It would really mean a lot to us if you could leave a rating and comment as well.
1: And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. So do uh, give us a like, uh, follow us, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, You can also get in contact with us, uh, not just on social media, but also via
0: email. So we are on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back next time with another passing shot catch up, looking back on all the finals action in the Madrid Open. So I hope you can join us for that and we will see you again soon.
1: So, Joel, what would you rather wear? Pair of Lederhosen or Stan's French Open winning <laughs> shorts?
0: Oh, well, can I wash the the Stan shorts or is that literally, am I taking them from the French Open final? I oh, know they've probably been washed already, haven't they?
1: What would, what would you rather have clay stains everywhere? Well, uh, no, let's say a washed pair.
0: Okay. You- um, no, I go Lederhosen just so I think it'd look more hilarious. Can you play tennis in Lederhosen? I'd, I'd love to find that out.